So starting with Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his names. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is God's words. You may be seated. Well, I have not decided whether we have one or two more weeks in the book of Hebrews. Uh, you'll find out next week, and next week I'll tell you what book we're going to uh, following the book of Hebrews. If you were super attentive, and I really don't expect any of you to have been this attentive, last week's sermon ended on verse 7, and I had us reread verse 7 because we're going to start there again and go from 7 to 17. I've got one or two of you nodding out there going, yeah, I got that. I got that figured out. So uh, I'm going to repeat that verse, not because of what I said about it was wrong. I still think that what I said about it was accurate. Let me just read that verse for us again, and you'll understand. But don't panic because I talk about leadership and, and how you're supposed to honor them. That's not where this sermon is going. Verse 7 reads this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And last week I suggested that hopefully each of us who are believers have had someone in our life who has gone on before us in death, who has finished the course and run the race, that when we think of that person, we think of God's word and how they spoke God's word into our life and, and how they, they were a model and how we wish we could emulate their faith and, and be confident and look at their way of life and say, yeah, I, I wish I was like them. The reason I'm, I'm coming back to that verse is, is because I began to think about who the original hearers were of this letter. And I got to thinking, if this letter was written in 65 to 67 AD, Christianity was very young. Uh, Christianity had only been around 30, 35 years. And, and there weren't that many Christians who had died of old age. You know what I'm saying? And so when these people were called 
to look at the way of life and emulate the faith of someone who had died in faith, they were probably talking about somebody who had suffered and possibly died for their faith. And that all of a sudden takes on an entirely different sense of meaning, doesn't it? It's, it's no longer that beloved woman or man with gray hair who spoke words of wisdom from God's word to us and, and pleasantly passed away in their sleep at 99 years, 11 months old. When we're told to emulate their faith and copy their way of life, we're told to be like someone who was willing to suffer and die for their faith. Perhaps the people in this original church, perhaps the people they were looking up to were some of the apostles who had already died for their faith in Christ. Paul or Peter or someone else ah, took on an entirely different dimension when it says consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith am i willing to imitate that type of faith kind of sets the stage for where we're going in the rest of this text now the rest of the passage uh, verses 8 to 17 have a tremendous amount to say and, and I will comment on most all of it, but I really want to highlight two particular verses. And they're verses that when I first read them, um, you will say, why in the world are you highlighting those two verses and, and what do they mean? I want to start with verse 11. Uh, well, let's start at verse 10. I'll just read 10 through 13 for us. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured." Any ideas? <laughs> Tough little passage. It's clearly talking about the Old Testament, isn't it? We've got the concept of blood. We have the concept of sacrifice. And if you're very attentive and looking at your Bibles, you'll notice a phrase that's, that's repeated three different times. That phrase is outside the camp or outside the gate. And any time the Bible repeats a concept or words in very short order in a short period of time, it really behooves us to pay attention to those words. Because more than often, it's going to lead us to the understanding of the heart of the passage. And so the question is, what does it mean to be outside the camp? Or what does it mean to be outside the gate? 
Well, let me tell you what it means because for us contextually, it's harder for us to get our heads around it. For the original hearers, they would have understood it immediately. In the Old Testament law, there was one day a year given over to the Day of Atonement when sacrifice was for sin was offered on behalf of the people and on behalf of the high priest and, and everybody who was assembled. And, and I'm going to do this very shorthand. You can look it up in Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus chapter 16. The book of Exodus say very similar things about this particular day when sin offerings are given. What takes place is this, and, and you really got to keep your thinking caps on here, even though I'm going to be very brief. They would take a bull, and they would bring the bull to the tabernacle, and the bull would be slaughtered, and his blood would be collected, and the blood would be sprinkled on certain items inside the tabernacle. And the fat off the organs of the bull was taken in and burned. But the entire rest of the bull, the skin, all the meat, all the intestines, all the guts, were taken outside the camp and they were burned on a big wood bonfire. And they were burned down to where there was absolutely nothing left. So part of the sacrifice was the blood that was sprinkled in the tabernacle, but the sacrifice itself was not complete or fulfilled until the animal was taken outside the camp and utterly destroyed, okay? And that is repeated over and over and over again throughout all of Israel's history. The animal that was slaughtered for its blood, the sacrifice was not complete until the animal itself was destroyed down to nothing but ash. All right? Now that symbolized a wide variety of different things. It symbolized that the, the, the system and the place that the tabernacle represented was important, but not complete. Ah. And it also meant that those who were gathered around the tabernacle and those who witnessed and saw it take place were being the benefactors of the sin offering, but also those who are outside the camp are also the benefactors of the sacrifice because it went outside the camp, you see. And Israel was called to be a light to the nations, and it was through the nation of Israel that the world was going to know who the one true God of Israel was. And so taking the sacrifice outside the camp was a symbolic sign that that sacrifice for sin given to God had benefit to not only those on the inside, but those on the outside. And that the system and the place didn't hold the key to the sacrifice. Does everybody with me? I mean, if you don't, I'm really serious about this. It's important that we get this. You took the sacrifice outside the camp and the sacrifice for sin was completed outside the camp. 
And that symbolized that the sacrifice for sin was good for all mankind. All right. So now let's go back and reread these verses. For the bodies of those animals, I'm reading from 11, whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, what was the temptation for the original hearers in the book of Hebrews? The temptation for the original hearers was to leave behind or add to their faith in Christ and go back to the place, that is the temple, and to go back to the system, which was Judaism, and put their trust and their faith and their confidence there. I want to put my faith in the system. I want to put my faith in what I can see. I want to see the blood running down the altar. I want to hear the priest chant the psalms. I want to smell the incense. I want to be part of all of that stuff. But what the writer here is saying is the system, even back in Leviticus, even back in the book of Exodus, didn't accomplish for you the sacrifice for sin until it was completed outside the gate. In other words, it was not the place and it wasn't the system that got the job done. So for you to go back to that or put your faith and your trust and your confidence in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ is entirely faulty. Now we may say that is not our temptation. And I would say, yes, but no. And this is the biggest reason, if you're ever looking for a reason, not to call Christianity a religion. Because it's all about an individual. It's not about a system. And when Christians take this book and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and turn it into a religion that has a system and has a place that says this is where you meet God and this is how you meet God and something is added to the Lord Jesus or taken away from the Lord Jesus, you are creating religion and you're putting reliance in something other than the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what these people were wrestling with. And it's what an awful lot of us have either tasted in the past or can be tempted toward in the future. And we have friends, relatives, brothers and sisters who may be tempted in the same way. And so when we hear this, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus died outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Jesus didn't die at the temple. His blood was not sprinkled, so to speak, on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. His sacrifice for sin was complete, 
before God, outside the gate for all mankind. Jesus, if you will, was outside the system and outside the place. But here's where it gets really, really tricky. Therefore, let us join him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. I'm, I'm not speaking of any one particular system or any one particular religion or any particular place. But Christ is met outside the camp. Christ is met outside the gate. In the most unlikely places. And he bore our reproach by being a reproach himself. And we are to identify with him outside the gate. And those were the people who were looked at in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke God's word to you. And consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. Those who were with Christ outside the gate. I'm not saying, this is the right place to be on Sunday morning. Don't misunderstand me. I am not shooting down church at all. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. Because this is where we learn what it means to be with Christ outside the gate through his word. But it doesn't mean being a part of a place or a part of a system or a particular group of beliefs. It is being with Christ and Christ alone and sharing his reproach. Why? Verse 14. For here, in the here and now, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jerusalem isn't it in the here and now. There is a new Jerusalem to come in glory that is yet to be. That's what we're looking for. Don't look for a place now, verse 14 says. And through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about what true worship looks like, how we handle our money, how we handle our marriages, how we treat one another in Christ who are being afflicted, who may be in prison, and so on and so forth. All these things are what it looks like to share sacrifices that are pleasing to God. It's not about a place. It's not about a system. It's by doing right to each other through Christ who's outside the gate. And then we come to verse 17, which is again one of those really tricky verses and can really be easily abused. Let me read it again 
and let you hear it. And, and I want you to have goosebumps and cringe as I read it. Okay? Because I do. I really mean this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obedience and submission are the two words that are most rejected in our culture. More than anything else. I'm not going to comment beyond that yet. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I'm going to be straight up and honest and forthright. It's talking about church leadership. And it's talking about obedience and submission. And I can't make the word say anything other than what it says. I'm not the leader of this church, but I'm part of the leadership. But this verse is really the litmus test for who you should put yourself under. And so this is a great opportunity for you to begin to question whether you're in the right place, okay? And, and I mean that very sincerely. First of all, leadership should be doing what they do with joy and not begrudgingly. And the text says that, not without groaning. And, and um, I, I'm not going to point to anybody as examples, um, but there should be an element of enjoyment in what a leader has the opportunity to do within the church. It's not always joyful because sometimes it involves discipline and sometimes, like for me, it involves saying things like this which are not easy to say. I, I don't like saying what I'm saying because I don't like obedience and submission any more than you do. To be frank with you. But, but is there joy, and I don't mean a smile all the time, but are they groaning against their leadership? Uh, so if they're groaning against their leadership, that would be one thing that I would, I would look into and say, uh, th that may be something that is a disqualifier. Because they are keeping watch over your souls. Now I want to be very clear about this. No leadership in any church ever sent you to heaven. Nobody ever absolved you of sin who's in leadership in a church. But there is a unique and interesting way in which a pastor or an elder or a leader in a church is charged with the responsibility of making sure that the souls of the people there are healthy and may be corrected and maybe put on the right course, and joys shared along with griefs shared, because they're marked as those who are caring for the souls of those individuals, and will give an account. Now, this is the part that I, that I really don't like, you see. And I'm being serious here, because most of the words that are spoken in this church are spoken by me. Not all of them, but some of them. And, and I will give an account for what is said here. 
And I have never intentionally misled anybody in this church, but I know that I have because I'm fallen. And I have said things about God that were not completely or totally true because I'm frail and I am not accurate. And I will give an account for those things. And my friends, that's a weight that a preacher bears and cares with it. But then the biggest question and the biggest part of the litmus test is are they outside the gate with the Lord Jesus? Do they put their trust and faith and confidence in a system? Or is it with Jesus Christ alone and will they share his reproaches? Will they go to the mat for the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone and teach the entire truth of God's word from start to finish, whether difficult or simple or whether popular or grossly unpopular? Is God's word exalted above all things? Because look back at verses 8 and 9. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. You see, the accurate, intentional teaching of God's word from start to finish, whether easy or difficult, by not only your pastor, but by your elders, will they go to mat for it? Will they share the reproach of Christ? Do you know what Jesus' ministry was spent doing? Telling the system that they were wrong. That they misunderstood the sin sacrifice. That it wasn't just for those inside the gate, just inside the temple. Look at Jesus' conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was, he was reproving and correcting them from the Old Testament about how they viewed God and worship of him. And that's what leadership today is supposed to do. Be with Christ outside the gate. I don't mean rogue elephants. And you can tell that very specifically by how God's word is handled. If it's just a soundbite and then an agenda that follows the soundbite from God's word, it's, it's very strongly and likely going to be something that leads you away with diverse and strange teachings, you see. So this is how leadership should be measured, among many other things. Joy, being outside the gate with Jesus. If, if somebody calls you to obedience and submission and it's not from God's word, ignore it. Ignore it. It's their agenda. It's their human tangent that they're taking you on but if somebody lovingly and kindly and with joy says God's word says this should or shouldn't be part of your life 
then heed it. Because this person is trying to take care of your soul. You see what I'm saying? I've said a lot. But you see, these, these people were just like you and me. There was a temptation to find comfort and confidence someplace else. Instead of God's word under the rule of Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And I would pray that above all things, not because of me and not because of our current elders, but this would be a place that always, always is ready to join Christ outside the gate and share with him his reproaches that we may not look for a city in the here and now, but that we look for a city which is eternal. And that the leadership of this place would always care for the souls through the Lord Jesus Christ and his word for the people in this place. Because they will give an account. To the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.